Okay, then if you would um, turn to John chapter 5, and we're going to kind of meander and introduce a topic tonight, and then we're going to land in John chapter 5. As you turn to John 5, I want to ask the question, have a little bit of conversation around it, what is the point of reading the Bible? Even right now, as you turn to John 5, what's the point of John 5? What's the point of us gathering around the text of Scripture? What's the point of reading our Bible, kids or grown-ups? Why do we read our Bibles? To learn more about God. To learn more about God. That's a good reason to read your Bible. Why else? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Yeah, okay. So to know more of God's statutes, more of his word, so God willing. To live it out. To yeah, obey it. to live it out and obey it. Good. What else? So that we don't sin against Yeah. So we don't sin against him. What else? To hear from God, God, yeah. What else? Yeah, because man shall not live by bread alone. We shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word of of the Lord, yeah. Yeah, this is good. And for some of us, maybe we haven't really, really even thought about that question. For a lot of followers of Jesus, like we know we're supposed to read the Bible, but if we're kind of asked why, sometimes we're just... We're just not sure. It's part of our routine. It's part of our tradition. It's just something that we do. Um, Travis, my son, um, was born with a pretty significant lazy eye. Um, And before he was one year old, uh, an eye doctor told us that he was going to need surgery. If you had a scenario like that, you you may resonate. Like thousands of thoughts just went through my head all at once. Um, Everything from like, Oh, anesthesia, he's not even a year old yet, to he's only got two eyes. I don't know about you, I would rather lose almost anything else but my ability to see. Um, so it's all these thoughts start swirling. And in the midst of it, um, this, this, this momentary consolation took over. It's like, okay, but if this goes bad, he'll, he'll still be able to see with his other eye. And then the doctor continued saying, we'll need to operate on both of them. It's like, oh, okay, well, there goes, there goes that. Uh, and then the doctor, kind of in his climactic moment of his speech, said, if we don't do this soon, Travis's eye is going to stop, rec- his brain is going to stop receiving impulses from his eye, and his eye is not going to work. It's like, okay, that's, that's the choice. That's the one option. And so before long, uh, we, we, we took our son into surgery. Um, and guess what? The results were amazing, and they were essentially just immediate. Um, he, he was like new, like within a few days, he could sit up really for the, for the first time. Um, his, his balance was corrected. Um, he could focus on things like he could really see more fully for the first time. Right, buddy? There you go. Uh, and a lot of times as I've thought about his surgery, the scene from Jesus's life has come to mind. It's not where I had you turn. This, this is a scene from Mark chapter eight. Um, it's going to be on the screen. Um, they, some of his followers, uh, came to a city called Bethsaida. And some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spat on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, well, I see men, or I see people, but they look like trees walking. In other words, I can just kind of see objects around me. Then Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And so just like this man kind of in, in mid-healing, when Jesus asked him, do you see? And he said, I see, I see shapes. I see him walking around. Um, like Travis could see 
but he couldn't really see. Does that make sense? Like trees, blurry, fuzzy, confused. Any, anyone with strong glasses or contact prescriptions? Like you know how this feels before you put them on or put them in, right? From, from night driving to watching a game or a show to, to doing any kind of job or schoolwork or anything well, like we've got to be able to see clearly, right? I want to suggest as we kick off this conversation we're having during August that the same is true for followers of Jesus when we read the Bible. To read the Bible rightly We need to be able to see the Bible clearly. Otherwise, again, kind of what's the point of reading the Bible at all? So I want to suggest we need to be able to see it clearly. I want to further suggest, if I may, that many followers of Jesus read the Bible through a wrong lens, and some of us have even been taught to read the Bible through a wrong lens. And so some along the way, some spiritual optometrist, ophthalmologist, I don't know the difference, but some spiritual eye doctor, whether pastors, authors, teachers, um, have given us some wrong prescriptions, if I could kind of carry the metaphor. And we miss God's heart even as we read God's written words. And I, I, I don't think I can overstate the danger of that enough. Like there's such a danger in misreading the Bible. It it misinforms our very walk with God and misinforms our relationships with others and it misinforms our everyday lives. But I also want to suggest that the key to reading the Bible rightly is shockingly simple, even if it's often missed. And so for a few weeks this August, I want to help us as we kind of move into the fall, I want to help us as a church kind of recover this new lens to read the Bible rightly. Or actually, I think it's actually an ancient lens. So recovering this ancient lens, because I think it's what God intended that we've just lost over the centuries. So it's a little bit of a, of a long intro, but I wanted to set up this series. I wanted to set up this month of conversations well. So, so my goal today is kind of to, to, to do a diagnosis, to, to be a diagnostic, go like, okay, what is the poor lens that we read the Bible uh, through and why does that matter? And then next week and the next couple of weeks, um, kind of work together as we consider a remedy as we rediscover the true heart of God's message and why that matters. Okay. So that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. Um, Again, the claim today is that we often read the Bible wrong. Like that's, that's the diagnosis. But that diagnosis is based on three different symptoms. I'm, I'm just going all in with this metaphor today. Um, one, Christians are not always trained to read the Bible well. Two, we don't personally read the Bible much sometimes. And when we do, we often read the Bible in what we're going to call little bits. Read the Bible in little bits. We're not always trained to read it well. We don't read the Bible that much. And when we do, we read it in little bits. Anyone resonate with any of those three? I'm not going to make you like point out which one. Everybody stand up if you don't read the Bible much. We're not going to do that today, but you know. (laughs) All right, so first one, we're not always trained to read the Bible well. So, So in a way... Reading the Bible wrong is an us problem. Like it's, it's a corporate collective thing. It's the capital C church. And in some churches, um, we do Bible reading plans or have Bible 101 classes or, or do Bible studies. And these are good things. But across the board, what's the one primary way that Christians across most churches engage the Bible? Anyone know? It's this. It's what we're doing right now. 
both from experience, I'll bet you could say this, but also statistics prove like the number one way that most Christians engage the scriptures is during a Sunday sermon, a teaching of some sort. Now, now we believe in the gathered church. We believe in teaching. I've had the honor of being in local church ministry for over 20 years. I think I've gotten to preach like thousands of, of sermons, teach thousands of times. But even with all that, a church can misinform or, or worse, maybe misform the way that we, God's people, engage God's scriptures if we rely too heavily on this one single 20-minute, 40-minute, whatever time we're doing this. Is that fair? Like on one hand, uh, a preacher, a teacher in any church can unintentionally become the mediator between God and, and God's people. And so folks who aren't preachers can thus, again, unintentionally lose our ability to engage God directly without that mediator, without someone explaining God's word to them. On the other hand, with, with as limited a time as any church would have on a weekly basis, uh, most preachers couldn't follow things like Paul's own example in Acts 20, he says this to the Ephesian elders. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We have such a limited time when we do this once a week. Like, I don't, I don't think I have to convince you that most churches, instead of being able to, to teach the whole counsel of God, instead just focus on a few parts of the scriptures. And this is true across many church traditions. Um, I was baptized as, as, as a Catholic. I was baptized as a baby, as a Roman Catholic, and I grew up in kind of a mainline Protestant tradition. And if you come from e- either of those kind of traditions, uh, you know that weekly teachings, weekly sermons in, in Roman Catholic and more mainline churches are, are based on what's called a lectionary. If you didn't grow up in one of those traditions, a lectionary is, a, is an annual or multi-year collection of kind of prescribed verses that just cycle through over and over again. Um, one Roman Catholic, devout Roman Catholic, who's also a statistician, went through the lectionary and found that the Roman Catholic uh, lectionary contained less than 45% of the Bible. And so there's, there's not an ability for, for traditions that follow that to, to teach the, the whole counsel of God. Um, but it's not limited to mainline and Roman Catholic churches. Uh, in most evangelical or non-denominational churches, we, we teach in, in kind of series. Uh, we teach the scriptures in a multi-week biblical book or biblical theme or biblical topic, and we'll just kind of dissect it over a number of weeks. It, it is near impossible to plumb the depths of the scriptures to teach the whole counsel of God in like a lifetime of Sundays. It'd be almost impossible to teach the whole Bible. You can do like a quick snapshot of some books, this kind of stuff. But, but again, like I've done this for 20 plus years. I don't, I don't think I've, I've gotten to teach even half of the Bible. Plus, if I'm really honest, there's just some biblical books that most preachers are like, nope. I have no desire to touch that with a 10-foot pole. So here's the point. Symptom number one of why we read the Bible wrong. 
is that we collectively, followers of Jesus, are not always trained to read it well, to read it rightly. That's the kind of collective symptom. The second symptom is a little bit more personal. Any questions on that before we move on? That resonate with anyone? You want to push back, rebuke me? I'm fine with that. Okay, the second symptom is a little bit more personal. And that's that followers of Jesus don't always read the Bible much. And so fair warning, like this may hit a little bit close to home for some of us. Um, But I read a survey that was done a few years ago, and the title was just beautifully tongue-in-cheek. The title of the survey, like read it like a headline, Americans are fond of the Bible, comma, don't actually read it. Americans are fond of the Bible, but they don't actually read it. And, And in this survey... 40% 40% of the folks who were surveyed, it was, it was a survey of thousands of folks who said they actually did read and appreciate the scriptures, the Bible. Um, 40% of folks who do read the Bible say that they read it um, over and over again. So that's probably you, right? 13% said they would read the Bible once. Uh, 22% of folks said they would reference the Bible as needed which then brings up all sorts of questions, like who, who determines that? What do, what do you do with that? Um, and then 5% of folks, this is the part I don't understand, 5% of folks who said they read the Bible responded that they don't actually read the Bible at all. Some of this, one time, as needed, don't I think some of this goes back to the question that we started with. What's the point of reading the Bible? Because if we're unclear on the purpose of the scriptures. We're unclear kind of where it fits in our, in our spiritual life, our spiritual diet. If we're unclear on that, then, then we're not gonna understand the need for that. It's, it's, we're not gonna have any urgency around it. And if we're honest, like lots of the Bible's kind of confusing. I think we can say that with a degree of integrity. And so instead of reading the whole Bible and trying to understand the confusing pieces and this kind of stuff, I I think we're landed in this third symptom is that many followers of Jesus just read the the Bible in in little bits. And here's here's what I mean by that. So Charlotte, my oldest, uh, read all seven Harry Potter books in one summer. We're cool with witchcraft in our house. Um, And then after that first plow through... I'd sometimes see her, we'd sometimes see her with one Harry Potter book, and then the next day she'd have a different Harry Potter book, and the next day like a different out of order Harry Potter book, and like she's a fast reader, Um, but like that seemed really, really fast, I mean you've seen them, they're like this thick, Um, and so finally I said, buddy, like how, how are you reading these so quickly, and she goes, oh dad, like I'm obviously the dumb one here, she's like, oh dad, I don't, I don't reread the whole book, I just go back and reread the parts that I like. Now, I, I love literature. I love books. I have the honor of getting to write books every now and then. And so my first thought was just like utter, utterly indignant. Like, you can't read books that way. <laughs> but immediately afterwards, I had this other thought. Oh, Charlotte reads Harry Potter like a lot of Christians read the Bible. We'll, we'll go back. Is this fair? Like, we'll go back and reread stories that we know We'll go 
back and, and jump to the parts that feel applicable to my life right now. We'll memorize a few verses that inspire us. And then we'll just kind of do away or ignore or skip over the parts that seem confusing. So again, no show of hands on this, but is, is any of that true for you? Is any of that true for you? So again, for the sake of starting a conversation that we're going to have over a couple weeks, there's a collective symptom why Christians don't read the Bible well, that we're not trained always to read the Bible well. And there's these two personal symptoms for why we don't read it well. It's that we don't read it much, and when we do, we read it in little bits. And to be clear, like the Bible is full of commands to obey, and it is full of stories to know, and it is full of verses that shape our life. Like the Bible is, is, is theological, and the Bible is morality, and it contains history and, and so much more. And we'll come back and look at those amazing truths next week. But for now, I just need us to know that the Bible is theology, but it's not just theology. And it contains morality, but it's not just about morality. And it does have history and is historical, but it's also so much more than those. And so if, if we read the Bible just to find rules to obey, like if you're like, oh, why do we read the Bible? Just, if, if it's just to find rules to obey, I want to humbly suggest you're reading the Bible wrong. And if you read the Bible just to look for an inspiring story or an example with the same humility, you're, you're reading the Bible wrong. And if we just go through it to seek catharsis, to feel better about ourselves, or even, I want to be careful here, but, but even to just gain more empty theological knowledge, we're reading the Bible wrong. Or to say it another way, if we just look at the words on the page or just look at the words, lowercase w, words on the app, I want to suggest we might miss the heart of God's message. If we just look at the words of the Bible, we might miss the heart of God's message. And what is the heart of God's message? That's what we're going to explore over the coming weeks. But we can't end today with just a diagnosis. Like only a bad doctor would go, all right, we found the problem. Good luck with that. What is the remedy? What's the right lens for reading the Bible? What's, what's the foundation that we'll build on over the next few weeks together? The answer comes from this text that I had you open to. This is another glimpse of Jesus's life recorded in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is talking to religious leaders. And, and just to be clear, like these were people who were paid to read the Bible for their jobs. These were like the pastors of the day, okay? They were rabbis, they were Pharisees. Um, they were paid to, to read and interpret the Bible. Um, now, the Bible for them was the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, uh, but the principle still applies for us today with both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So Jesus looks at these leaders, religious leaders, and with sadness and anger, he rebukes them for reading the Bible wrong, but then he shows them a right and better lens through which to read the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. This is what Jesus says to the religious leaders in John chapter 5. 
He says, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard and his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures. This is key. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But it is them, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Let's pause for a moment. Church, what's Jesus saying to these religious leaders? You're studying the Bible wrong. What's he saying? Yeah, the scriptures tell us about him. Yeah. Yeah. You may have heard like the scriptures are a signpost pointing to something. One person said the, the Bible itself is a windshield. And sometimes we just get stuck looking at the windshield and miss the view that we're supposed to see in front of us. Again, there's danger in that. Jesus is telling these leaders, if you really got God's promises, you'd see me as their fulfillment. If you really grasped the prophecies that you study for your job, you'd see me as the culmination. If, if scripture truly lit up your heart, then you'd see the hypocrisy and brokenness in your own lives in contrast with my own perfection, Jesus would say. And I wonder, church, if he'd say the same thing to a lot of his followers today. If you really saw God's promises, you'd see that, that Jesus is the fulfillment. If you really grasp the prophecies, you'd see that he's the culmination. If scripture truly lit up our hearts, then we'd see the hypocrisy and brokenness in our own lives in contrast to his perfection. And it would drive us, rather than toward more knowledge and rather than toward more rules to follow, it would drive us toward more dependence on and he says to these leaders, again, leaders who represented God's people, he says, hey, you've never actually heard God's voice. Your, your entire job is to read the Bible, but you've never heard God's voice. You spent hours studying the words of the scriptures, but you've missed God's capital W word. These leaders, like us, were missing the heart of God's message. So again, what's the heart of God's message? We think, kids in the room, what's the heart of God's message? Yeah? God, God died on the cross to save us from sins, and he's the one true God. That sound like a pretty good heart of God's message? Any others? He loves us. How does he show us he loves us? That he died on the cross. All right, we're coming back to it. If there's three that, like, we're locked in, unity. Do what? He cares for us. He cares for us. Yeah. How does he show us he cares for us? By dying on the cross. <laughs> there we go. All right, we have an accord. We're done. Yeah, and by, and by providing for us and by giving us a spirit to lead us and, and you know, so many different ways he cares for us, so many different ways he shows us his love. Here's where we're going to end today. If you want to go to the next slide, Lydia. The heart of God's message is the gospel of Jesus. 
So you're all right, kids. The fact that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose a miraculous resurrection, and reigns as a perfect king, like that is the heart of God's message. That's the heart of God's message. We must read the Bible, we must learn to read the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Because otherwise, if we don't see Jesus, if we don't see his life, his death, his resurrection, and his reign as the center message, not just of the whole Bible, but, but of all of the little bits of the Bible, then, then like these religious leaders, we're reading the Bible but missing the gospel. That's the key truth we'll build on over these few weeks. Scripture itself, and this sounds like heresy in some circles, but Scripture itself is not the source of life. That's what Jesus tells the religious leaders. The true source of life is found only in him. His exemplary life, his sacrificial death, his miraculous resurrection, his kingdom reign, that's the one story of the Bible told over and over again. And that is, to affirm these kiddos, great job, the heart of God's message. Jesus is the remedy. That's what we'll build on for the next few weeks. The gospel is the right lens through which we read the Bible rightly. Amen? Any thoughts, questions? Response, confession, pushback? All right. Then one of the things that Scripture points us to and one of the ways we remember him as, as being the first importance, the primary thing about our faith is this act that we're about to partake of called communion. And if you're new to this, or if you haven't thought about it in this lens, uh, communion itself similarly is not the source of life, and yet communion, like the scriptures themselves, point us to the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus. And so the night on which he was betrayed, the night in which he showed us his greatest care and his greatest love for us, the night in which the, the fullness of God's message uh, started to be, be culminated. Jesus sat with his followers and said, take this bread, it's my body broken for you. And so if you want to grab a piece of the bread, you're welcome to break it. If you need gluten-free bread, it's in the back, and there's also individual cups back there. He said, this is my body broken for you. And if you want to dip it in the juice or the wine, the wine is wine color, the juice is gray. Um, it's fresh, but it is gray. Purple Kool-Aid, all right, there we go. <laughs> if you've ever thought communion was supposed to be a somber meal, tonight you're wrong. But this is the culmination of, of God's message. This is the culmination, is that he, he, he took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you, and he took the wine and he passed it around and saying, this is my blood that's shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this impacts everything about how we read the Bible. We'll talk about this in a couple weeks. Like, we don't have to go ask God for forgiveness anymore because his blood was already shed for every sin you ever have committed, are committed right now, or will commit. Like, this heart of God's message changes everything. So take and eat. This is the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, broken and shed for you. Father, we thank you for things that you give us to point us to you.
whether that's something that we actually receive that comes into us from outside of us, just like your spirit does, or whether it's your lowercase w words that point us to the word, that point us to you, the word incarnate, or whether it's a billion other things, God, I thank you that you've chosen in your grace to give us these things. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that through it we can know about you, know what to obey, but we thank you that through it we can know you and know your heart and know primarily the message of your son. Spirit, would you teach us over this month, would you be our primary guide to understand the words of scripture more? Father, would you create this to be a church uh, that loves that loves the Bible that you've given to us. And Jesus, would you be glorified as the centerpiece of the message, as the centerpiece of our lives, and as the head of your church? And would you use these few short weeks we have together to focus in on this, to disproportionate fruit in and across salt and light and through us to those around us? It's in your son's name. Amen.